this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Adjust Your Tracking and all the Playlist podcasts are sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming a selection of exceptional, independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. Mubi's film experts handpick every single film they show. Each day they present a new gem, and you have one month to watch it. Visit mubi.com slash the playlist to start a special 30-day free trial. Current highlights on Mubi include uh, a f- a several films that I'm... Uh, a few that I'm familiar with and some that I'm just excited to catch up with myself. Though I'm going to also recommend a movie that was released on movie a couple weeks ago called Hello Destroyer. Uh, it's a hockey-themed movie from Canada. I thought it was a really powerful drama, and me and Joe get into it a little bit more in depth later on in the episode. Uh, but other stuff that's been recently dropped on there would be Bernardo Bertolucci's uh, 70s masterwork, The Conformist, a great film. Uh, there's also Paul Verhoeven's experimental film from 2012 called Tricked. I don't know much about that other than, hey, it's Paul Verhoeven, and I'm always interested in what he's doing. And then, of course, there's Steamboat Bill Jr., the Buster Keaton uh, and Charles Reisner film. Uh, anybody who hasn't seen Buster Keaton should definitely remedy that situation. And I haven't seen this one myself, so I'm going to do that. So I think uh, Mubi is killing it as usual. We really love that they support this podcast and our other shows. So we thank them for that. At the dark end of the street, that's where we always meet. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Arpen. Hey, buddy. How are we doing today? Pretty good. You know, it's um, it's been there's been a nice kind of like sharpened air around, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for for fall coming, and uh, even in Los Angeles, you know, where it is supposed to dip back to ninety degree temperatures this <laughs> week, um, it still feels like we're transitioning into the the sweater weather of fall, where That's things true. get you know a little more moody, a little more introspective, although. This has been a pretty moody year, start to finish. Um, yes. Uh, overall, just in the the reality that you can't seem to snap out of, you know, it's just <laughs> a it's a it's a nightmare you can't wake up from. So it's been a moody, turbulent year. However, it seems to be like fall is the time for that to be poeticized a little more, like a, a little mood, a little uh, maybe people are in the mood for horror, something darker, something mm. a little more menacing. Um, so. Like September was, you know, we got it, which, you know, however many flaws we felt like uh, the movie had, it still is, you know, a very impressive vision. It's very like it's it's a big epic scale horror movie, mm-hmm. which you don't get very often with a with a big ensemble of kind of like new fresh talent. And there's another movie coming out that uh, I think originally we were we were talking about pairing the two. But since this next movie that we're going to discuss came out a few weeks after it um it seemed to be like we were jumping the gun a little too much mm-hmm. but uh, it's a film called super dark times which uh directed by kevin phillips has made the festival rounds and is now coming out on 
VOD and theatrically mm-hmm. limited and um, similar. It's got like an ensemble of young people going to high school, um, one of which is a junior high student. And um, they're, you know, they're, they're shit talking. This is an R rated coming of age movie. And it's set in a very kind of like. It, I don't know where it was shot. Do you know where it was shot? I was actually, I meant to look that up. No, I, I do not. But it had a sort of, to me, like a Northeast U.S. kind of yeah, upstate New York almost feel or something like that. Yeah, there were moments where it, it like, I, I honestly wondered if it was shot in the Northwest because there's a bridge that the characters uh, cross early on that looks a lot like the St. John's Bridge close to Portland. And I was like, is that the St. John's Bridge? What the fuck? Like, how, how come nobody talked about shooting this movie in Portland? It's not shot in Portland. <laughs> Just has that kind of like heavy, overcast, looming, menacing quality. Not menacing. Let's not call it menacing. It's a you know, it's a thoughtful autumnal vibe. Oh, so, there you go. So we we're following uh, two best friends in this movie that starts off like pretty dramatically with a kind of surrealistic opener where we zoom in through a shattered window at a high school to find something strange and bloody. Yeah. It sort of sets the tone for the movie, but doesn't necessarily, it doesn't at all play into the plot points of the film. It just like sets it up for mood and atmosphere. And it's interesting because here's a movie that takes a coming of age story, mixes it with elements of horror, but never is a conventional horror movie. It, it just sticks closer to a harrowing coming of age uh, like drama where these kids like hap- like they happen into a situation where something goes wrong, something violent happens, and they have to deal with the repercussions in trying to keep it a secret. And we've seen this before, you know, with a, a handful of movies. Mentioned in the trailer is a film. <laughs> Uh, called Mean Creek, which yes. you read before off mic. And I was like, could be this generation's Mean Creek. And I was like, was Mean Creek that generation's <laughs> Creek? Because I, I felt like that was like, you know, a, a notable movie, a, a, a solid movie, but like it didn't seem to make that much of an impact. It's a pretty odd, uh, yeah, marketing quote to go for. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think it includes um, Donnie Darko with it as well, which I was like, does. huh? Because this movie's in the 90s. It's what? The next in the line? Indie? It was weird. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like that's 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 a good uh, entry point to mention that it was set in the 90s. We can start to kind of investigate what this movie does do. Because I think it's, a, it's an interesting, like, intensely compelling film. Mm-hmm. Like, it's got a good ensemble um, especially like the, the leads, uh, the, one of the main characters names is Zach and he's played by Owen Campbell who, um, he's just like, they're, they're like fresh faced kids mm-hmm. and they, they all have like clearly a point of view and they've got just like a sense of, of urgency to them. And, uh, they're, they do what like all good sort of young people cast do is that like once they've cracked them and established them, you're always excited to see them from then on. Yeah. Until you're tired of them, <laughs> oh. um, but but yeah, so like it's it's got this like this great cast and um, set in the '90s mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's in, interesting it's interesting to like wrestle with like what does the set the time period do for the story itself and right. to be grappling with that 
How did you feel about that? Because we've had problems with you know movies set in a time where it's like, look, videotapes. And right. Like that's, that's the punchline, and that's it. The the worst one that always comes to mind is the To Do List, that Aubrey Plaza movie that we <clears> for <throat> some reason reviewed like five years ago. Um, yeah, that and that movie was set in the '90s too. And uh, one of the things that I really like locked in and appreciated about Super Dark Times, like right away, is how it made it made it very clear early on that you were in the nineties, but it never, I feel like I can't think of anything that stood out. That was like a glaring, like let's go watch something on VHS, you know, or like something overtly trying to like, uh, just not having faith in the audience. It was much more of a casual sort of like we're set in the nineties. So I appreciated that because it was a subtle use of the time period. And then I think functionally or like how it works for the movie is might, might just be a simple reason. I mean, cell phones, kind of changes this movie big time I would think absolutely yeah so I think I think there's a there's a sort of a very functional reason for it to exist in this period in the 90s where kids this age at this time just didn't all have cell phones so it makes um the plot and man the the like this movie kind of goes crazy in the end in a way that I did not see coming and that was I don't know if it all sticks together but like I did appreciate the fact that it was uh, that it kept me guessing. I thought I knew where this movie was going and it didn't. And I guess a lot of that is because it had a freedom to it because these kids aren't carrying cell phones and easy, they're not easily able to communicate with their parents. In fact, I would say one of the sort of underlying themes of the movie is um, <clears throat> the sort of lack of adult supervision going on in this movie. And yeah. you, you can't help but think about it, even though... Um, the main character, his mom is uh, such a great character. Uh, Zach's mom in the movie is such a, yeah. she's a really strong character and a believable mom, but you get this idea of like, Oh, she seems to be a single mom and she's not always able to be around, even though she clearly is a great parent. Um, so so yeah, I like the way all those things sort of were coiled together to work for the story. Um, and I totally get why it was set in the nineties for that reason. Yeah. There seems to be like a real sense of like intuition made, with this movie. And I think that that was most likely a very evocative time for probably the writers and the director. Right. Um, And so like there, there's just something like intuitive that like the script follows and that the filmmaking follows. That's like, here's an evocative period. And like, clearly there are, are very specific reasons why landlines are important. Like getting people on the phone is important. Whereas like cell phones sort of eliminate that tension a little bit. And like the atmosphere of the 1990s does feel specific and not in a kind of ham fisted way where it's making a joke of the reference points. Right. And like having the sort of world filled out around these kids where it's like they're watching scrambled pornography on cable TV and like that's just playing in the background. They don't make a they don't have a whole speech about it. Like it's just kind of like playing in the background trying to get each other on the phone, having your brother pick up the phone in the middle of phone conversation until you get the fuck off the phone. is like, that's a, that's a big part of the atmosphere of this movie. Right. And I think that like, there is something to be said about the exploration of the kind of volatility in young people. And then in young men, especially with this film and that, that sense of menace that like, you know, a lot of great movies have tapped into even like, a movie I don't like, like tree of life, like this sort of Mm. menace of young men. It's sort of like when it's following around the boys, like in the section that's not about dinosaurs. (laughs) Um, but like, 
so in the 1990s specifically, this is like a pre-Columbine, pre-regular like occurrence of school shootings. Yeah. So like that, the sort of archetypes of the kids that would become kind of like menacing to schoolyards, like one of the kids kind of feels like one of those kids. And so mm-hmm. like this is like right before the sort of outbreak of way too many of those occurrences happening – and so it, it sort of like it takes the pulse of that moment pretty effectively. And so it, it isn't just a cheap tactic to set it when it's set. Um, and I did love hearing um, Primitive Radio Gods. Um, what the fuck is the name of that song from the cable guy? It's like playing during the party. Oh, yeah, yeah. Still a phone booth with change in my hand. I don't know. It's too long of a title to mm. remember. You're, Good. you're asking too much of us. <laughs> Good reference, though. <laughs> yeah. There's a great PM Dawn sound cue. In oh, it. yeah. So, like, set I don't know. A drift, just, set Adrift on Memory Lane. I know that one. Memory Bliss. Damn it. I don't like, know that one. Apparently. Both very long titles. I wonder if like the entire soundtrack is made up of just song titles that go on and on and on. <laughs> I would have been happy with all PM Dawn, frankly. That was good to be reminded of. Their yeah. Sw- yeah, they were good. <laughs> um, so, like, just thinking about, like, the the there being like a very specific reason why it's set in the nineties, but it also feeling like it's an evocative period. And so that's why the writers and the filmmakers are sort of like going with it. And the sense of like the movie, not, not knowing its tone, but like being okay with feeling like, Oh, it's a, it's a movie about, it's a realistic movie about kids that lapses into the surrealism of the panic they're going through. There's like some pretty amazing dream sequences in this movie that are like, super unnerving and like they do something new with the form I feel like. And, uh, and it's just like, there's a, there's an uneasiness that perfectly matches the storyline, the uneasiness of not knowing the, the tone necessarily. Cause it's a, it's a funny movie. It's a touching movie. It's like, you know, it's warm hearted and it's depiction of like the cool mom character of the main character, Yeah, you know? And like, so there's, there is something that's just kind of like excitingly, intuitive about the whole the whole experience and like it when it does go off the rails it it i don't i don't know that it'll work for everybody but Mm -hmm. it was nice to just feel like something genuinely unpredictable was happening yeah in in the hands of somebody who like is very obviously a curious filmmaker and knows how to craft like mood and atmosphere this effectively. That's, that's very true. And that's, that's one of the things I really locked, locked into with this movie was that mood, that atmosphere, which um, I believe this filmmaker was Kevin Phillips first, first feature, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It looked like it. It's one of those that you do sort of, it's an interesting movie in that way because it's, Definitely better than, you know, so many movies get released every year. Um, I'm sure we're going to get into it a little bit with this one of like, where is the space in the theatrical realm for movies like this? It's going to play in some theaters and that's where you should be seeing it. It seems designed to be a big movie, even though it's a low budget movie. It's crafted with like a real like Kevin Phillips has a voice. I think it's right there. Like it's it's pretty formed and ready to go. Um, And that's all impressive. But then it just... I, I like appreciate all that. And then it's like, ah, I sort of like lament, like, um, you know, my theater cinema 21, we're going to show this movie. It'll be gone after a week. And you know, that's just the sort of the way it goes for a lot of these movies. It's unfortunate, but like, um, it's just too bad. So many of these movies are being crafted in this way 
but um, most people are going to see them, you know, on, see it on VOD or or wherever they can stream it. And that's how I watched it for this review. And, you know, before we got on mic, I was asking you to help me out with plot points because <laughs> the movie takes turns that I think I missed. And this is my fault, but I think part of it was I was trying to watch it on a computer screen. Uh, and it became easy, even with headphones on. I think I might have grabbed my phone or something like that. It's just the, the things that can happen when you're not in a big, dark room with loud sound and a big screen. Um, it, it certainly didn't help my experience watching the movie, but the movie is really solid and has a lot going on for it. So it's just it's one of these like interesting movies that just feels like it's, it's just in this weird gray zone that is expanding. Yeah. Yeah, it's enveloping all of us, this gray zone. Um, yeah, it's interesting because, like, it, that is a potential handicap of how people experience, you know, their, the, their movies now. And uh, I luckily locked into the movie, like, pretty quickly and, like, just didn't, didn't take any breaks, just watched it straight through. And, you know, I did, I watched it on my computer as well. And, like, for a movie to do that um, is, it's not necessarily rare, but it's always like valued and you can only imagine that how much more the movie would then benefit and succeed in being seen how like films should be seen, which is in a theater, you know? And like, and so for, to lock into something that's played being played in like, you know, a kind of limited compromised way and on a small scale in my cramped apartment, um, you know, no amenities. Also, no, nobody around but my cat. I can't bring my cat to the theater. So that's all. Those are all the, on the plus side. But like, so now I'm excited to actually see it in the theater because um, like, it's one of those movies that was like moment to moment so compelling and so rewarding for all of its sort of like sense of discovery that like to see it with big sound on a big screen, I think will just be all the more rewarding and like it's it's hard for movies like this that did used to feel like they had a place you know like mm-hmm. we're mean creek which is referenced in the trailer like you know that that was playing in art house theaters as well but mm-hmm. it was just like it felt like that still had people understood its place now people are understanding less and less why things certain occupy the space that they do still right They're like why why do i need to see this well, because it's a good movie. I need more. Uh, what do you mean? Well, is it it? Is it the one? Or is it the other one that everybody's mad about? What? Yeah, is it that one? Eh, I don't care then. You know, so it's just like people need big talking points, I think, to kind of coerce them into giving their time, which is becoming rapidly gobbled up at every given, you know, moment. So it's it's hard to make a case for just good movies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like the, a movie like the bad batch, which, uh, came out months ago, which you, you loved, Mm. right? Oh yeah, man. I I did too. And like, and I, if I waffled at any moment about the movie, am I using that? I think so. Probably waffling. (laughs) I think so. More. What a fun verb to (laughs) waffle. Um, (laughs) like I, I now appreciate that movie so much more, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like audacity, it's scale, it's vision. And Hell, like, it's messiness. I like how messy that movie is. Yeah, and it's in its sense of intuition and its mm-hmm. sense of like 
kind of like blending different genres, different tones and doing it effectively with an assurance. You know what I mean? Like, cause there's, we've definitely seen sloppy, uncertain tones and genres and have that be a very thankless experience, you know, whereas like when a movie kind of effortlessly transitions between tones and between feelings and between like senses of genre, like it's thrilling mm-hmm. and it's like thrillingly unpredictable, but like a movie like that, it was just like, I think that there was a place for that movie at, at a given point because it was like an assured vision from a exciting new director. Mm-hmm. And like now it's just like that, that movie played like so briefly, uh, even here, like even in Los Angeles where like things seem to kind of like cling and hang on. And Portland has a great like second run community, Mm -hmm. you know, after the art houses, they can live in the pub theaters and like the revival houses and stuff like that. And like, even still, like it kind of slipped through and was like rinsed out of the system, like pretty quickly. And, um, yeah. Luckily, it's now on Netflix, so you can watch it. That is true. That is true. Um, I, <clears throat> please. I was going to say, um, for Super Dark Times, it's like it's almost like it's being set up to be. So I, <laughs> we were making the joke about Mean Creek in a, as a pull quote in the trailer. It's like ten years from now, will another movie that has sort of thriller hor- for dark times, right? Yeah. Will be like the super dark times for this generation. And only you and me and maybe like the hundred other people that see this movie will be like, Oh, I get that movie. I, I know that reference, but yeah, huh? Yeah. like it's, it seems destined to, to be that next weird pull quote 10 years down the line. Some marketing person is just going to keep it in their pocket that saw this movie. And yeah, uh, I I mean, but it seems like the reference points are getting like now people are less interested in doing that. And they're just mm -hmm. they they know what they know and they don't care to make a coherent sort of set of references anymore. Right. I'm worried about where we're at. Don't worry too much. If that's not clear, all of our episodes. (laughs) Joe's worried. It comes through. I I read you loud and clear. Um, I mean, hell, how about just the title alone? Maybe this title is just should be the new title of our podcast, Super Dark Times. I mean, yeah, or at least the subtitle. Yeah, (laughs) I do. I do love that title, by the way. Like it, it, it not even that it becomes it's not there's something that feels sort of uh, different about it from the norm, because another thing we were talking about off mic is this ridiculous proliferation of the use of American before a lot of movies right now, we've got like American assassin, American made all this American sniper, all this bullshit with American in it. Mm -hmm. And here comes a movie that recognizes it needs to stand out from the pack just to have a fighting chance to get some eyeballs. And they go for a very strange sort of, um, no, it's, it's a very evocative title, super dark times, but like it doesn't, it, it sort of gets at the movie overall, but it has nothing to, I like that about it. Like it does not give anything away, but yet it sort of gets the movie at the same time. Um, And I applaud that as well. You know, I just, I guess I wish people like paid more attention to it because it seems like if there's this many movies that have like American then title or a sort of generic, we will make fun of the generic, like one word titles that come out. And I guess there's enough data out there that suggests that people will only remember something that's that generic. I don't understand it. Cause it seems like you'd want to go yeah, for something. Either. Yeah. You'd want to <laughs> like, go for something weirder like super dark times, but no, people won't remember that. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's like in an avalanche of content, it then becomes like people just straight up will not remember. And like now that there's there seems to be a lot of movies with uh, women's names as the title. Yeah. So it's like yep. really, really hard to keep those. So like Christine, which Christine? Oh, there's two Christine. Oh, no, not the one about the car. The one about the lady in the news who I don't want to spoil it for you. <laughs> or like. You know, there's like Stephanie, uh, Mandy. There's just like all these movies with people's names. Yes. Uh, if you want to go back to the 90s when Super Dark Time takes place, Michael. <laughs> like, oh, he was an angel. Oh. Yeah. So let, let's just keep getting like more Joe, uh, David Gordon Green's Joe, not to be confused with the Peter Boyle Joe. Like it's just really hard to like make an impact. And not every title can be the amazing title and simultaneous pitch the way like honey i shrunk the kids is or <laughs> maniac cop even which i think is the best two word pitch for a movie i think so man I, yeah. yeah and two only words. to be bested by maniac cop 2 of course i mean of course yeah <laughs> um but yeah super dark times is a great evoc there's just a pleasure to saying it and a and a poetic appropriateness to saying it in this year in these times and during this season I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams. Why? It would be bad. Cross the streams. I've been kind of busy watching stuff this past week, and I don't know how much you've been, you know, watching since since we last got on Mike Joe, but um, would it be all right if I sort of went through a few titles that I've seen lately? Well, yeah, I think that we've uh, we've shied away from laptop cinema, which right. was the second we started, where movies, we were kind of like introducing movies that we felt deserved your attention on many of the streaming platforms. And so uh, let's let's just do a, a supermarket sweep of, you know, laptop cinema recommendations. I like it. Here it comes. Well, one that I'm going to start with only because I didn't hate it, but it's not great by any means. <laughs> Uh, but it kind of connects. Jesus Christ. We like, we're trying to get people by saying like, no, no, this is a great movie. Please see it. Nah, I'm not going to see it. Now oh. we're like, handicapping it out of the gate by being like, that's not very good. However, <laughs> please watch it. You won't. Uh, it's only <laughs> good. Good point. Uh, I'm just bringing it up cause it's sort of connected to super dark times, I guess okay. in some ways it, it has to do with younger kids in high school dealing with a sort of genre um, elements. And, it's the Adam Wingard movie, Death Note. I actually watched this on Netflix. Um, you did? Okay. I did, yeah. This, so, the, yeah, this is the movie he made. It's an original movie produced by Netflix. Adam Wingard, uh, director of The Guest, and uh, You're Next, two movies that we've championed a lot on this podcast. But then, of course, he went and made Blair Witch last year, and um, mm. I we remember how not well that went. And then here he is getting to make one of these Netflix original movies, Death Note. Um I've mostly seen bad reviews for this movie when it when it uh, became available. I think last month. Yeah, I think you have too. And uh, I, I, I'm mixed on it, but I will say to me it was a vast improvement over um, what Wingard did with Blair Witch. Uh, that just felt like such a, I don't know, just it had nothing going on to it. Blair Witch. I just felt like it was such a kind of lame attempt at reviving that series. Yeah, um, Death Note has some interesting elements to it, especially the connective tissue. I'd say to Super Dark Times is the, and Death Note goes way more extreme with this, but the sort of play of um, teenage gender roles and like the way boys 
uh, sort of act together and also the dynamics they have with a girl they might be crushing on and vice versa. All, you mm-hmm. know, pretty interesting stuff going on there. But the, the big thing I'm going to say that makes this movie worth watching, if you're, if you're a, first off, if you're a fan of Adam Wingard, check it out. But also, did you know Lakeith Stanfield is in this movie, Joe? I didn't know he was in it, yeah. He's incredible. <laughs> and you know what makes it incredible is his role is ridiculous. Like, it's so silly. Uh-huh. And it, um, as I understand, Death Note is based on a, a Japanese manga, so it's it's got comic book origins to it. So yeah. that helps you realize what's going on as the movie progresses and becomes way more like um, silly and heightened. But Lakeith Stanfield has this ridiculous role as like a super detective. I'll just leave it at that. Um, like trained at yeah. birth to be a super detective. Um, just- but he's so electric. Like it's just, um, I'm so glad to see this guy's career taken off because uh, I, I think we talked about what was the movie he was in with Brie Larson that we talked about year, years ago where he was Short a, term 12. Thank you. Yeah. Not, not a movie I was crazy about, but he, he got our attention right away in that movie. I remember us like kind of zeroing in on him and yeah. just ever since just seeing him pop up in more and more stuff. And I'd say probably the peak right now is his role in Atlanta, which is a really great show by Donald Glover. Um, I just also love the new to streaming. Uh, it's on, or no, no, I'm sorry. It's on Hulu via FX. Um, so you can, you can watch it on Hulu. The whole season. Atlanta's on there. That's awesome. And I think Netflix picked up Crown Heights, which is um, Lakeith Stanfield's like lead role. I think it's a movie that played at Sundance this year, actually. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Did, did you uh, Crown Heights? I think I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Um, and, you know, got attention at Sundance and, and, and they picked it up there, I think. So, yeah. yeah just, and he was in um, whatever the Brad Pitt uh, war, war monster, war right. machine, <laughs> gun monster. What's it called? Um, it should have been gun monster, war machine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, which he was like one of the more solidly compelling parts of that movie. Like it seemed to exist in a better, like his section seemed to exist in a better movie. Right. It did. Um, but so I, it seems like Netflix, in addition to kind of rounding up directors they believe in and want to continue working with, they, they have like a stable of actors they like supporting as well. And he seems to be one of them and he is very deserved of it. He is man. So yeah, more, more Lakeith Stanfield. He is awesome. So yeah, man, I I don't know if you're going to check out death note. I know you were sort of trepidatious about it, but it might be worth a dumb, like end of the night kind of watch just to like admire what he does with the role. It's pretty great. Um, so that, so there's that, but stuff that I'm going to throw out there. That's much more like I am a fan and I recommend people watch these things. Like I have very, I have a lot less qualms with these titles, Mm -hmm. um, would be, uh, the, another movie on Netflix called dark Knight, And it's not the Christopher Nolan dark Knight. Um, this is a movie from, from director Tim Sutton. He's made a couple, if not one other movie, I think something with I think a movie called Memphis from like four or five years ago. Yeah. Um, been, been actually wanting to check that out for a long time. And now I might actually do it because this is kind of how I work as a movie lover is if I see something by a director, I've not before and I like it, I want to go back and seek the other material out. Um, and dark Knight is, um, is a very haunting movie. And I would say this is a very easy comparison to make, but it's, it's there for a good reason. And I feel like it's the new, it's, it's this generation's elephant basically is how I would, uh, uh, quote dark Knight because it follows. It is that story of, uh, when the dark Knight rises, 
opened and we had that I, I believe we talked about we addressed it on the podcast we were we were doing ayt at that time yeah when dark knight rises came out and that awful you know shooting happened in one of the theaters on like the opening weekend and mm-hmm. here's a movie that takes the elephant gus van sant elephant approach of like we're following around all these disparate characters and um they're all lead it's just over a day it's set over 24 hours and it's all leading to this event that's going to happen in a movie theater that we're sort of primed into in the beginning. Um, I think the one thing, a, a, a few things that I really love about this movie, talk about mood and atmosphere and um, really strong, strange, like visual framing that I really appreciated. Um, and even though it's on Netflix and I watched it on my TV screen, I actually could still appreciate those elements. It was, it was an odd sense of like, this movie is very cinematic, but yet it played well on a 38 inch TV screen still played yeah. well for me. Um, so that was, I really appreciated that about it. But also I found this, I, I want to know what you think. Cause you saw this movie at a, a festival, I think last year. Um, yeah. but to me, the difference that I think is interesting, I'm not totally sure what I think, like how it, if it makes the movie better necessarily, but it certainly makes it interesting and different than say a elephant is almost every character that we follow in this movie. We don't know who the shooter is at the, until the end. Right. We, we don't know who it's going to be, but, um, isn't it kind of odd that almost every character you think could be the shooter? Like it's almost building up like all these people could be that person that's going to do something terrible at the end. Um, and I found that kind of strange. I don't know. What do you think? Am, am but I, right? I also think uh, on top of that, uh, what's compelling is that like the movie's very, very quiet and very kind of distant and sort of like poetically observant of like these sort of like mundane moments But like what we're all sort of like connected and culturally understanding is what it's without ever really spelling it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we all have this shared trauma of knowing that these things have become all too common. And so here are the here are the hallmarks letting us know like what this is in reference to without ever saying it out loud. And so like that I think that the movie's really compelling in that way that it's just like all right, we all know where this is going. And then it, it actually deprives you, not deprives you, but it like it, the movie stops before it gets to the inevitable and gets right. to the sort of, and like elephant sort of what elephant does indulge in is like, it's traumatic, yeah. but it's, it's also weirdly detached. Mm-hmm. And like, there's something kind of, uh, I don't know, not mean, but like, there, there is a kind of like menace about how, how like ordinary the violence is depicted in right. Ele- which it's also elephant. The movie itself is referencing an Alan Clark movie where violence is depicted in a very detached manner, which um, that's an incredible film, by the way, yeah. it's like 40 yeah. minutes long. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. So like, I, yeah, I thought that it was just like a, Dark Knight itself was like a very interesting meditation on like naming something without directly naming it and then sort of like walking us through what we're what's going to be traumatic and then like leaving us before we're you know before delivering the sensationalistic aspects of it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it's it's yeah, it's a really compelling movie that like I saw like right after um the election basically it was like two days after the fact like Ooh. everybody was shell-shocked yeah everybody everybody who's prone to be going to see 
independent, you know, kind of like art movies at a festival are probably were leading what, towards one way voting and it didn't go the direction of this election. So everybody was a little kind of hurt, you know, and like uh, not knowing. And so movies became like a very interesting kind of way to sort of like try to make sense of the world. Mm-hmm. And like, even though, and this is like a, a depicting a world, you know, granted that depicting an, an incident kind of vaguely four years in the past, it still is like a world that's very hurt and very confusing and like difficult carving out the space to do so, I think is pretty valuable. And so I, I agree if you can't catch it, you should. It's one of those things where, you know, like it, it, I would love to have gotten to see it in a cinema. It's we're never going to really change our, you know, our desire for that you and I, but this is the kind of thing that if Netflix is going to pick up movies like dark Knight, so small that like play in festivals for like a year and just people champion. Like I've, I had been waiting to see that movie all last year and it never came to my city, not even in a film festival. So if Netflix can actually give this a home or, you know, Amazon or any of the other like major streaming services, that's a positive. And, you know, like I'm glad that I got access to it there uh, because yeah, that that's I don't know that's I think that's an awesome thing and it played quite well for me in that in that way so um, oddly enough it being a kind of quiet meditative arty movie that doesn't really give you the things you're expecting from most movies like it played surprisingly well streaming so um, yeah I'm a big fan and this is so this is Dark Knight there's no the it's just Dark Knight and then it's N I G H T so you know slightly different than the Nolan title yes. um, yeah, check that one out. Now, the other one I just wanted to throw out there, um, I'll probably do a little ad for it in the beginning because it's our sponsor. It's a movie that's playing by our sponsor, Mubi. Mm-hmm. Is this hockey movie called Hello Destroyer? I, I'm guessing, I shouldn't assume, but I'm guessing you've not heard of this movie, Joe? No, I love it. No, I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, let's just do a hockey movie episode then. Um <laughs> This movie. Can we finally watch Youngblood then, since it's the only <laughs> hockey movie I continuously reference? <laughs> um, that is actually a really. I'm glad you bring that movie up because Hello Destroyer is like the. Okay, it's like this filmmaker watched Youngblood growing <laughs> up and then said, How can I make the Michael Haneke, like, serious painful, depressing version of what would actually happen in that sort of movie. And uh-huh. in a weird way, that's what Hello Destroyer is. It is very much shot in a cold, detached way. It's a Canadian film. So, you know, the, I'm sure the filmmaker has grown up uh, in a hockey intense city of some sort. I'm sure um, Canadians tend to love hockey, as do Minnesotans, where I'm from. And I being a lover of hockey, I'm always going to sort of like be drawn to something that has that as a subject matter. But what's great about Hello Destroyer is it has some hockey like elements to it and actual like gameplay. And mm-hmm. that's well done, which I always am looking for, but really it's the drama that happens. And it's, it's just a story about this uh, kid who's sort of a, he's a rookie on this junior hockey team, which is um, junior leagues. This is this weird sort of talk about a gray zone that happens for some of these players is um, once you graduate high school. And if you're not like, if no colleges are looking to sign you or, or get you recruit you for their team, a lot of players will go play in the junior leagues because it's sort of an in-between and you can live in a different city and you have these like host families. It's a kind of a strange, like rite of passage that uh, a lot of friends of mine and people I know and grew up with have done. 
Um, and so this kid is in a different city, staying with a, a host family and playing for the, the local team. And looks like things are going well for him. But what this movie does really well is it, it, it shows you the way these players are sort of coached and coerced and forced and encouraged to be violent to hurt people. Mm-hmm. And then when something bad happens on the ice, as it does in this movie, the, the lead character we follow hurts a kid. Um, it, it, the rest of the movie is about essentially him being ostracized from this community that worshiped him and considered him great. As soon as something he does that, um, interesting, interestingly enough in this movie, it's it's the way the kid gets injured is is very uh it's complex because he it's uh it's not clear that he was trying to hurt him it's there's a lot of like interesting moral gray stuff going on in this movie but essentially he get he's the one that takes the fall for this kid being hurt and really the movie is indicting sort of like hockey and uh these leagues that need to keep going and, and make money, you know, that they'll, they'll sort of screw over a young kid who's not like equipped for this kind of heavy thing to deal with. Uh, and the movie just deals with that. And it's, uh, it's a very quiet, somber drama, but like, man, uh, I really, I really liked it. I have a, I have a sort of, you know, you know, I have a, a dog in this race. I like hockey and all that. I want to see more movies get made about it, but this is a really good one. And it's not a typical hockey movie by any means. And it's deadly serious. And that kind of makes it the anti young blood. Um, but not, nothing against young blood. That's a goofy, funny hockey movie. And, and Rob Lowe and Patrick Swayze are in it. So, you know, someday we might I'm have just to just remembering young blood. That's a, that's a, it's a dire movie as well in its own way. It is, but like, it sort of plays up the heroic aspects of like, he becomes a fighter and then he, you know, then he hurts people in the end. And it's like, yeah, right. Or am I mis, am I misremembering? I mean, I think you are. I mean, hmm, cause the have, most important part of the movie is that it stars one of my childhood crushes, Cynthia Gibb. So ooh. I think if you're not, if that's not a major plot point you're bringing up, you're missing the point. Well, do I foresee a future hold up episode with young, young blood? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we could just start one with our like initial crushes on whoever's in the movie. We could just do a whole series, maybe yes. closer to Valentine's day. I like it, dude. The crushes series of uh, yeah. hold up. The crushes hold up. <laughs> That's a great idea. Well, okay. Maybe I'm misremembering parts of young blood, but hello destroyer is a really like just totally, if you have movie, it's, it's actually totally worth checking this one out. And it's, I played at some festivals in 2016. I've seen a fair share of really bad Canadian films at festivals. And this is actually a really good one. So um, check it out, you know, and, and as I said uh, at the top of this, like Mubi is one of our sponsors. So it's, um, you know, good to see that they're actually putting out, they're giving a home to an even smaller movie like this. Uh, This is an even smaller movie than something like dark Knight, And it has a place at Mubi and, if you have, um, you know, if you have a subscription there, it's, it's going to be there for another like 20, 20 or so days. So check it out. I really like this movie. Cool. Very cool. Is there anything you wanted to bring up, Joe? I've been blabbing. Well, I mentioned already that the bad batch is now on Netflix. Um, yes. Atlanta's on Hulu. Um, I, if you hurry, um, <laughs> you can watch, I'm sure it's going to pivot to another streaming service. But it breaks my heart every time it expires on any one of the streaming services. But the Karate Kid is expiring on Hulu. <laughs> please, please watch it before it expires, um, dude. Weren't we supposed to do a hold up on that? Isn't that one you wanted to approach? I, I, think, I think we still should. I for think sure. so too. Yeah. It's, it's one that I, I reference as a 
an example of great storytelling time and time again. So, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if time you watched it, but so that it might be important for you to revisit and be like, please stop referencing this movie as an example of good storytelling. <laughs> yeah. It's been a long time. I, I'd, I'd be into it. Um, well with that, do you, do you have an announcement for by? Ch- I'm just putting you on the spot here. Did you want to announce a hold up for next episode or do you want to hold off on that? Well, I think that um, the next holdup uh, is going to be for not our upcoming episode, but the one after that. But I can do it for both episodes. But um, we're going to do it in conjunction with the new Noah Baumbach movie, uh, The Meyerowitz Stories, which is coming out very limited theatrical release and then <laughs> straight to Netflix, which Netflix has all of, um, with the exception of While We're Young and whatever was between kicking and screaming in the squid, the whale, all of Noah Baumbach's movies are pretty much up on Netflix, uh, which include Francis Haas, squid and the whale, Margot, the wedding Greenberg. And the movie that I want to pick for a hold up episode, not next episode, but the one after that <laughs> is kicking and screaming. Yes. Um, which is, uh, ensemble comedy about a group of guys graduating from college who stay in their college town, uncertain of what they're going to do with their life. And it's over the course of the year after they have graduated. And um, it's it's uh, Noah Baumbach's debut, yes. his feature debut, came out in 1995. And um, I remember recommending this movie to friends uh, 10 years ago at this point. And they're like, Oh, it's so nineties. So maybe now is the time where that, Oh, it's so nineties. <laughs> the, the tone has just changed. Sure. Um, but it's definitely one that is of its era for sure. And, um, but it's one that like every time I revisit it, it, it like I laugh harder. I feel like so. And comedy is something that is so difficult to not get dated eventually. Mm-hmm. And this is something that like, I feel like has been a conversation between friends and I for a long time, because like you may have a nostalgic connection with a given comedy. Um, and that may keep it alive for you. But for someone who's seeing it first, you know, at, at a time, 10, 20 years after the fact, or even longer, they'll be like, eh, it doesn't, it's not, it's not really funny anymore. Like, oh shit. Really? You don't think so? And so <laughs> it's, a uh, it's subjective. Um, it's super dark times, Joe. Yeah, it, it can be for comedies outside <laughs> of the element of the time that came out of. So, um, yeah, we're going to see, I think this one is uh, perfect for revisiting. And, mm-hmm. um, so next episode we will be talking about some sci-fi ish type shit and mm-hmm. not this movie, but that gives you two extra weeks to watch kicking and screaming so you can come back for our next episode or our next installment rather of hold up. Hell That's yeah. two weeks. That's plenty of time. Please do it. Do it. Damn it. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm very excited to watch. I've only seen it once, maybe, maybe like 10 years ago, kicking and screaming. So I came to it late, but I am, I'm looking forward to getting into it, especially with a new Bombach uh, film coming out. So, um, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. Um, yeah. So I hope that one's good too. Meyerowitz stories. Um, we'll, we'll see how that one goes. Totally. Totally, man. All right. Well, let's wrap it up then. What do you say? 
Yeah, let's do it. All right, so episode 153 of Adjust Your Tracking, that's what this has been. Uh, we can You can find all our episodes and those of our other podcasts at theplaylist.net. There's the podcast tab pretty much right at the top of the page there. You can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, uh, rate and review. You can also find us on SoundCloud, too, if that's your, your, your podcast place. Um, you can email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com. And if email is not your thing, where can people find us on Twitter and Facebook, Joe? Uh, Twitter at adjust your track, uh, Facebook, just put in adjust your tracking. You might have to click on the, you know, the podcast portion and not on, uh, the film adjust your track. That's right. (laughs) Um, but it's, it's not a lot to sift through, so you'll find us. You'll find us. Exactly. Holler at us. Let us know if you got any, uh, opinions or thoughts on what we talk about. We'd love that. So, uh, we'd be very thankful as well, but not as thankful as I am to talk with you today, Joe. Thanks, Eric.